Well, good morning. This is Every Man Weekend. Those of you who just happen to be dads, welcome and happy Father's Day to all of you. Man, you guys were spectacular this morning. Man, I, I now understand why some Pentecostal preachers get up and say, let's do that again, right? They usually don't have a sermon prepared, so they need music to fill it in. But hey, you know, it's the truth. You know what makes moments like this special when these guys are just right there on it? Uh, I found that there's always a story behind it, right? It's just like our lives. Sometimes when we're talking to someone or someone is talking to us and, and they just break through whatever it is that, that we put up between us, you know there's a story there. This is Emily's uh, first Father's Day without her dad. Uh, Tracy, who's running all the stuff behind the scenes. This is, I don't know how many Father's Days now without her son who passed on Father's Day. I know last night I hugged a widow and she said I needed that and I understood why because her husband, the father of her children, aren't standing by her. And so friends, if you still have your father in your life, please make sure Make sure that you let them know how much you love them and appreciate it. And if they're like me and they've made mistakes, well, please show them a little grace on this day and reach out to them. There are several Christian men, young and old, right here in this family at MCC who are making a difference. And while I'm always hesitant, you know, when you have a church of 500 people to isolate out and mention three or four guys, you know, it, I, I'm always fearful that somebody's going to have their feelings hurt. But for every person that I'm going to introduce you to, because I want you to know them better, there are 10 other men in this congregation that are just like them, many of which are doing the exact same Things. So let me introduce you to Danny Barclay. Danny, Danny is with us most of the time on Saturday nights, and Danny's one of those guys that will do anything to get a young person, a young man, to come to church with him. He's always got two or three with him. And a couple weeks ago, if you were here on Saturday night, there was a young boy just circling the building on his motorbike, you know, little, little motorbike, just burning the wind. Our security guys were trying to catch him because he's breaking all kinds of traffic rules, going the wrong way. And they're like, who is that boy? And it was Danny Barclay's little boy that he brought, not his boy, but a boy in the community that he brought. And you know why his motorbike was here? Because Danny put it in the backseat of his car in order for that boy to get here. Whatever it takes. If it takes four wheelers, I want to see him out here. We got a muddy ditch. They can go through it, you know? <laughs> Travis Allen. Travis is one of many men in this church that sees something that needs to be done, whether it's a soft spot in the gravel, whether it's mulch that needs to be refreshed. And Travis, Travis, even though he's new to this church family, he hasn't held back. He doesn't say, I, I don't want to step on someone's feet. He jumps in and he takes care of it because he knows that even the most small things matter to the kingdom. De Devin Short. Devin, one of our young fathers, father of two, and the husband to a wonderful wife, is breaking the chains and building something new. He's building a healthy family. And praise God for you men 
who are building healthy families, even if you didn't come from one. Bronlin Hutton, you guys are familiar with Bronlin, but I can't say enough about Bronlin. He's going to college now, he's working two jobs, he's devoted to his church, and he's living his faith in purity. Bronlin, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so, <laughs> that's, that's the way they were last night, you know? And you should, you should cheer on those that are living right. Miles Carmody, many of you don't know him yet, but you will. And their foster, and those who are foster and adoptive parents who brought children into their home to be loved and cared for in a world that, that has looked the other way and left them behind. Chuck Sparks, the walking definition of faithfulness and lifelong commitment. Young men, young men all around us who are honorable in this season of dating. And as a father of two, let me reassure you, that matters. It matters, guys, that you are honorable, that you're pure. David Gator and, and Mike Albright mentoring this generation of middle school boys who open up their home, who go camping with groups of eight or 10 middle school boys. It's amazing. Gary Mauerman, who is never too old to raise a nephew. Retired men who have a renewed commitment to serving God's kingdom. Scott Gillis. His picture's not on the wall, but this morning he is at the hospital again with 12-year-old Stella. I sent you a message last night. And Stella is, uh, she's a really sick girl right now. And so uh, they're trying an antibiotic that if this doesn't work, then they're gonna have to make some other uh, decisions about major surgeries and things like that. And I know that her parents are just, I can't imagine, honestly. But that man was there for two and a half weeks without leaving last time. And I talked to him last night to see what he wanted to eat today. And he said that we're gonna be here for a long time. So whatever it is, and I know that he will. Church, please join me in celebrating and encouraging all the Christian men that are around us today, please. The book of Jeremiah, if you haven't turned there already, please find your way there in your Bible. It is the longest book of the Bible. Now, Psalms has got the most chapters, but Jeremiah has the most words. And let me tell you, it's a discouraging book. It's a hard read for those of you who read just the few chapters that our reading plan suggested to you. But I hope that you will read the whole thing, that you will hear the word of God spoken throughout that book. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was 17 years old when he was called by God to serve as a prophet. God's spokesman. He was to deliver a message of repentance to the nation that we followed over the last five months, Israel, now the southern kingdom, Judah, as God had built it up. God's nation, a nation very much like ours today that was built on God's truth and his word. A nation that was there to point the other nations, the entire world, to him, the one and only king. 
the one true and living God, a nation who over and over again rejected him. And we've talked about those rejections. They have rejected him over and over again. And in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, they have reached an all-time low, rejecting God for man-made idols. If a calf wasn't enough, they switched to a pole. And if an Asherah pole wasn't enough, well, then they've got Baal, an inanimate object, no power, no life, no authority other than that that messed up people would give. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. For 40 years, Jeremiah gave his life to preaching a message of repentance, warning God's people of their impending judgment by God. And not only their impending judgment, but an enemy that was coming from the north. You see, when we continue to reject God, God will turn us over to our sinful ways. And in this case, they were about to feel the full impact of his wrath. They were about to be taken into a place called Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to be all over that next week as we look at the life of Daniel and others who stood up during that time. But Jeremiah is the most like Jesus in that he felt the sorrow of God for his people. He experienced the pain of self-sacrifice, unrelenting love that just wouldn't give up. And so this weekend, guys, and quite frankly for all of us here, but men, this is the first of five lessons that I hope that you will take away from this challenging book, let's just say that. And the first is this, the opportunities God places before us they're rarely easy, <laughs> and you guys know that. That the true opportunities that God places before us are rarely easy, but, but he equips us and he is with us, and so don't make excuses. And this is the first thing that we learn from Jeremiah. Now, every man that I mentioned as well as the 10 others for every man that are in this room, they're discovering, we are discovering that through our obedience, it's then that we can recognize that God has purposed us, that God has built us, that God has given us the wherewithal for the challenges and for the opportunities for the assignments that have been given to us. He's done that for every man who will accept it. And you either accept it or you reject it. In chapter 1, verse 4, this is where we're introduced to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah recording this. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was born, God knew his strengths. Before Jeremiah was formed, God knew his weaknesses. Before he was formed, God knew that he would be the man for such a moment as this, to deliver, to deliver this terrible message. I can't imagine being the preacher to deliver not just once, but for 40 years, the message 
that your country is going to be taken over, that your city, the city of Jerusalem, is going to be destroyed. But like Jeremiah, we sometimes see our weaknesses instead of our strengths. Verse 6, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Now listen, I have never heard a 17-year-old young man say, I'm only a child. So he was really reaching here for an excuse. And I love the dialogue that followed. And listen, I have felt the same dialogue in my life, and I think many of you men can relate to this. God says to him, you're not a child. I'm the one who formed you. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Verse 9, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And he said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. And you say, wow, what an amazing thing. God, God sure doesn't do that anymore. Well, yes, he does. In fact, he doesn't just put his words in our mouth. He puts his spirit inside of us to give us the words when we have no idea what to say. Luke 12, 12, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. Guys, guys, this is the first takeaway from this overwhelming book of bad news that I want you to hold on to. Because Jeremiah, because God, just like Jeremiah, has given you everything that you need to be the dad that you may have been surprised by. Even though I don't know how you'd be surprised. To be the foster parent, to be adoptive parent, to be the single man who has the margin in his life right now, like Danny, to make a huge difference. In chapter 2, Jeremiah is to deliver the first of many warnings from God. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, now remember why it's coming to him, because the Lord touched his mouth and said, here, you have my, my word. The word of the Lord came to me. God is already doing what he promised. Go and proclaim to the hearing of Jerusalem. And here's the task. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Judah. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to his people, this nation. I remember the devotion that you had early on. How as a bride, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown, Israel was holy to me, the Lord. The first fruits of my harvest. And anyone who stood against you, anyone who devoured you, were held guilty and disaster overtook them. You've seen me, people, take out armies. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. You know, it's not a coincidence that the first metaphor that God uses to describe his broken relationship with Israel is marriage. Not just in the physical sense that we see marriage today, even though that's very applicable. 
But this started all the way back in Exodus after bringing the people out of Egypt when God made his covenant promise to them. He set them apart as a holy nation, a relationship that he described paralleling that of a marriage, a relationship that provided a new identity for them, protection, direction, and blessing. And you remember the people's response. We'll do everything the Lord commanded. Man, how many times did they say that over the generations? Every time. Every time they gave themselves over to idols. Anything other than God being number one in your life is an idol. It's not limited to the things that we think are so foolish like, a, like an ash or a pole. But anything that we put, our children, our work, our desires, our money, anything that we elevate to a position more important. How do I know that? Well, where do you spend your time? What are the reasons why you're not here on Saturday night or Sunday morning or Wednesday night? It's because you have idols in your life. We all have. No matter God's goodness and favor toward us, life lesson number two, no matter God's goodness and favor toward us, we are all prone to wander. <laughs> That's who we are. That's who the Israelites were. Over and over, God brought them out of Egypt, remember? They come to their first obstacle. Well, well we want to go back. We'd rather be slaves than to be out here and starve to death. God does the miraculous he starts leading them after they've crossed. And they say, we're hungry. Did you bring us out here to starve? God meets with Moses up on the mountain. <laughs> what are they doing? They're throwing in all their jewelry into the lottery and they're casting a golden calf. And then they have the gall to stand up and say, worship this. This is what brought you out of Egypt. <laughs> Seriously? But that's the way idols work in our lives. When we elevate them up, we start following. And we give them authority and power that they otherwise would not have. We're prone to stepping out. We're prone to being unfaithful. We're prone to walking away. And those who stay sometimes that resist change are prone to fake it. The psalmist wrote, with my whole heart, I've sought you, God. Let me not wander from your commandments. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The Apostle Paul said it this way in the New Testament. Inwardly, I desire to seek God, but my spirit is willing and my flesh is weak. It's part of our sin nature. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, what an example. They walked in the cool of the day with the Lord in the garden. There was nothing that separated them, but it wasn't good enough. Abraham and Sarah, the promise of the nation that it would come through them, but God's timing wasn't quick enough. 
Jeremiah would lament over Israel. She, Israel, defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? The future is often the farthest thing from our mind when we choose to reject God. And this is the charge that God's giving Israel and could easily be his charge against us today. It's the third takeaway. Don't reject the spring of living water for a man-made cistern. Don't do it. In high school, I had my first experience with a cistern, not, not, not a sister cistern, but a, cis, a cistern. And it, uh, my high school girlfriend lived way out in the country. And I was invited out one night to have dinner with her parents. Guys, that's how you start dating, is you date your person inside the home with mom and dad, with little brother sitting there. That's how you get to know each other. And so I was called to dinner. I sat down. They asked what I wanted to drink, and I always drink water. And so they gave me a tall glass of water, and I was nervous. So I went ahead and took a big gulp of that water, and it tasted like, I, I don't know, it tasted like a frog smells. <laughs> It had this bitter aftertaste, right? It, it, it was water, but, but it made you want something more. <laughs> and later, her dad was showing me around the farm. And just, just outside of the house, there was a gutter spout coming down, and it led out, and it disappeared underneath a concrete lid out in the yard. And he said, this is a cistern. This is where, this is where we get our drinking water from. And he said, this old thing, he said, it's really a pain for us. You know, when it gets dry in the summertime, he says that cistern gets really, really low because it's old, it's cracked, it, it just hasn't lasted. And he said, when it gets really low, I see how many frogs are in there, so I try to get them all out before it fills up again. That's why it tasted the way that it did. That day, that night, I broke up with that girl. <laughs> And I got me a city girl, right? Don't buy into that farmersonly.com, folks. Verse 13. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, in the 23rd Psalm, David, a psalm that many are familiar with, even if you're not churched, but David lived this psalm. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or in other words, I want for nothing. He's provided it all. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, the thing about sheep is that sheep are afraid of running water. They're afraid of spring water, even with the slightest movement. Why? Because they know that if they fall in, their woolly coats will, will take them all the way down river. And so what do they do? They go any place but to the spring, any place to that fresh flowing water in order to get their drink. 
They drink the stagnant, muddy, feces-infested water that they find in the area that they're at unless they have a shepherd. And that shepherd, you know what he does? He takes them out and he finds that stream. He finds that spring and he takes that staff and he lays it down across the water so that the water will be still enough that the sheep can come and they can quench their thirst with good water. Guys, listen. When we step outside of God's plan in any area of our life, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our sexuality, our finances, the way we do family, the position that we give work in our life. Listen, we are building cisterns that at best hold stagnant water, even then only for a little while. And so this Father's Day, I, I ask you, what cisterns? Because we all have drunk from cisterns. But which cisterns have you been building and drinking from? I found a list of some online. You know, Google, the authority on everything. I found a website called apetogentlemen.com. Boy, that, that's appropriate, right? That's appropriate to find some cisterns. Life lessons, there's seven that they give us there. Men, you only live once. Second, men develop a signature style. You know, I would really like to start, uh, change my Walmart style but Lord knows I can't go to Target right now. <laughs> Enjoy your body. Buy property. Be ready to go your own way. Keep being a big kid. And number seven, luck matters. You know, some of these sound good even on the surface, but let me remind you, they do not hold water. See, life isn't limited to our time on earth. Yes, there's some truth there. You only live once. But the life that we live, we stand in judgment one day when we pass from this life and we either live eternal in heaven with God, the king, or we live eternal in hell with Satan in the most lonely, hot, hotter than my mother-in-law's house, <laughs> place. <laughs> you only live once. <laughs> My life just got shorter. <laughs> life isn't limited to our time on earth. Regardless of what our style is, what we look like, <laughs> none of you pay attention to that anyway, I can tell. God looks at our heart, right? Our body. We know that our body isn't our own. We've only been loaned this for a while. There's only one way. There's only one way. Be ready to go your own way. Well, listen, there's only one way, and it isn't our own way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. <sighs> Be a kid. Never grow up. Guys, it's time to grow up. And take responsibility. Luck matters. 
God's in control. Luck, is that really the way that you want to live this life, depending on random chance? See, when we buy into what the world is selling, eventually we taste the frog in the water. And when the cistern, when the cistern runs dry, we realize we've traded the best for something that will never completely satisfy. You've heard it before. The things that we reject God for never satisfy. Why? Because the things that we need are the things that God can give us only. He created those needs within us so that we would come to him and receive what we need from him that does satisfy. Chapter after chapter, for 40 years, Jeremiah recounts every rejection of God. It's like a rerun all throughout the book, chapter after chapter, talking about their rejection of God and what happened, and it just goes on and on and on. And for 40 years, that man pled with the people to accept God's offer of grace amongst all of the condemnation was always an opportunity for grace. Chapter four, verse one. One such occasion, he said, if you will return, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. If you will put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in a truthful, just, and right way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nation will be blessed by him, and in him they will glory. But you know, instead of, instead of repenting, instead of accepting God's grace, they hated the messenger. They crucified the messenger over and over again. Why? Because none of us like to hear the truth, especially when the truth is a list of the things that we're guilty of. And that's lesson number four that we take from Jeremiah. And that is don't give up. Don't give up. Be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. This whole book of Jeremiah is a restatement in great detail of what Israel had given up. What they had given up when they rejected God. It's not a fun read. In fact, it's really sad. Not unlike today, when we see just how far we've fallen as a nation ourselves by letting go, giving up what matters most. Prayer in school. It was a fifth grade public school teacher that changed the trajectory of my life when he bowed his head and he prayed for me right there in that classroom unashamedly. One faith on which our country was founded, a faith today that if you want to speak the name of boldly, then you are considered insensitive. But let me tell you, this country is founded on the Christian faith, not the Muslim faith, not your own faith as you see it, it's born on the Christian faith. The definition of marriage, sexual identity. Men, our country is a mess today. You want to know why it's a mess today? Because our families are a mess. And you want to know why our families are a mess? Because we're a mess. And that goes just as well to you women as well. 
It's not just on the men. We are a mess because we've given up way too much by being passionate about the wrong things. So day after day, day after day, Jeremiah preached. He delivers God's warning. He offered an opportunity for repentance. And you know what? He even found himself in the bottom of one of those man-made cisterns. And he continued to preach, yet not one. I got to tell you, it's so discouraging as a pastor with so many staff and so many leaders and so many of you, I know you feel it too, when you're out all week and you're talking to people that you work with, you're talking to your own family, and no one repents. No one comes. And, and when we go a week without a baptism here, by which we had last night, when we go even a week, we die a little bit inside because we know that's our mission. That's our focus, to see people come to him and receive him. But for 40 years, this man delivered God's word and not one person repented. No one. Jeremiah said to God in chapter 20, verse 7, I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. The word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But you know what? Jeremiah never gave up. And Jeremiah didn't give in. Why? Because the stakes were too high. How would you like to be known as the weeping prophet? How would you like to be called the weeping pastor, the weeping teacher? Dave Colbert, you want to see somebody weep? Go to Memphis Christian Church. Weeps every week. It implies that Jeremiah was some depressed, mopey man who cried wham, wham because he hated his call. But you know what? It was totally the opposite. Jeremiah, he wept over the state of his community. He wept over the state of his people. He wept because he passionately wanted them to be saved from exile, the exile that they were about to be taken into if they would not repent. Listen to Jeremiah's passion in chapter 20, verse 9. But if I say I will not mention God or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Men, men, we should pray, God, make me like Jeremiah. God, may this fire that you have lit inside of me, may it never die. May I never hold it in. If I do, God, then burn me up until it comes out. Jesus wept in Luke 19, 41. It says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, a city that was unrepentant, a city that was about to go to hell because they wouldn't accept him. What did he do? He wept over it. Isn't it ironic that Jerusalem, that Jesus wept over, is the same city that Jeremiah wept over some 500 years earlier before it was completely destroyed, before the people were taken captive. Jeremiah lived under five kings, he ultimately saw Jerusalem destroyed. He ultimately saw his own people taken captive, just as God had him prophesy. 
the book of Lamentations, also penned by Jeremiah. It records Jeremiah's lament, his grief, his grief for Jerusalem, his grief for the people of God. And as he recounts what has happened, he writes, yet I still dare to hope when I remember the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. Why? Because they're new every morning. For 40 years, God tarried. For 40 years, his grace was made new for these people every morning. And so Jeremiah prays, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return, renew our days as of old and less unless you've utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And for those of you who continue to read along, you know that after 70 years of being in captivity, what did God do? He provided a way for them to come home. And that's the final lesson that I take from Jeremiah and that is, even when my rejection of God has led to my captivity, there's still hope. There's still hope because God is willing. He's patient with us right now. Every day that goes by, he's demonstrating his grace and his patience because God's willing to bring us home Jeremiah chapter 29, it's the verse that we're all familiar with, but this reading affords you the opportunity to hear the whole thing. Jeremiah penned this to the surviving elders and people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. Verse 11 of chapter 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Remember his first words to Jeremiah? <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Remember, they're not just written to Jeremiah this time. They're written to the survivors. <laughs> the ones in captivity. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. What does this say? It says that God has always had a plan for his people, for his nation, He's always had a plan. And it wasn't a plan for them to suffer. It wasn't a plan for them to face eternal judgment. It wasn't a plan for them to be held captive by a group called the Babylonians. Sounds barbaric, doesn't it? Just in its name. He had a plan for Judah, the line from which Jesus Christ would come. He had a plan for us to save us through that same Jesus Christ. Jesus, the source of the living water our soul desires. The good shepherd, the good shepherd who will leave everything in heaven 
to go after even one that has gone astray. The one who laid down his life for us to come home. Come home to a relationship with God. To come home to a life, a blessed life, here and now, and a home eternal, where scripture tells us we will live in the new Jerusalem, the beautiful bride dressed for her husband. We will be with the Lord forever. Now I think in my little mind, that the whole book of Jeremiah could be summed up this way. <laughs> we have two choices. <laughs> we have two choices. We either drink from the living water. We either go to God, Jesus Christ, and allow him to quench the thirst that we have. All of us have a thirst, and that thirst can only be satisfied by the living water, by God himself, or or we can choose the things that we create on our own that don't hold water. The Israelites, God's charge was they've traded me the spring of living water for broken cisterns they have dug for themselves. <laughs> What's your charge today? Are you drinking from the living water that satisfies or are you going to leave today and go right back to the cistern that you've been tasting? <laughs> the frog water, the sewer water, the water that leaves you longing and thirsty. All for a minute, it quenches that thirst, but then the bitter taste comes that will not go away. My hope today is that you'll come, that you'll turn, that you'll repent while time is still here, and that you'll come to the one who will satisfy you, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Perhaps you want to even kneel today as we pray. I want us, first of all, I want us to join Scott Gillis and his wife in praying for their daughter, Stella, 12 years old. Father, we come before you just as we did last night and just as many in this room have continuously pleading Stella's case before you. Father, as a child and as parents who believe you, Father, we come to you because you are the creator of all things, including Stella. You are the creator of heavens and earth. Yet you allow us to call you Father. And Lord, we know better than to ask for things that are outside of what you want for us. And so we, on Stella's behalf, we say, God, not our will, but yours be done. God, your plan, your plan, you can see much bigger picture than we can. Oh God, we would want you to remove this ulcerative col 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 colon or whatever, colitis from her body. That she would once again be able to take nourishment, that she would gain strength again, Father, that you would spare her of this. Father, our prayer is that you would, that you would lift up her parents. But Father, today we ask your will 
We ask according to what you've promised us, that you will strengthen them, that you will uphold them with your mighty right hand, that, Father, you'll never leave them or forsake them, that whatever this is, Father, that it is an opportunity to see you at work in ways that that all of us dads say, God, I I would never want to be in that pit. But God, what a blessing to see you work in those hard times of our life. And so we pray, God, that you you would do those things, that you would reveal yourself again and again to this family, that you are with them, that you are in control because you are. Father, bless them today. Surround them with their church family who will petition you night and day until what you want accomplished will be accomplished. God, thank you for the men you've assembled together right here in this room and those that are watching online. Men who are passionate for many things, God. All of us thirsty. All of us have made mistakes. Thank you, Lord, for the men who are breaking the chains of the past. Thank you for the men who are sacrificing and serving you by serving children. Today, Father, some of us kneel before you and we ask for your forgiveness we want the plans that you have for our life we want to once again drink from the source of living water you thank you for jesus who brought the water to us and who will bring us home to you it's in the name of jesus that we pray amen if you'd like to meet me back at the next steps area i would love to pray with you I'd love to talk with you about your next step, whether that is to become a Christian through baptism, through profession of your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Maybe you need to recommit yourself. You need help getting up out of the cistern that you've been in. Whatever it is, I'll meet you along with some others back there.